0: Welcome to the Impact, Legacy, and Meaning podcast, where we discuss the mindset, strategies, and tactics that will allow you to make the kind of impact you want on your family, your business, and your community, while creating a personal and financial legacy that will last for generations. I'm Sean Skaggs, your host. I'm a father, husband, business leader, and follower of Christ who's on a mission to help you create the impact, legacy, and meaning you want for your life. Don't forget to go to impactlegacyandmeaning.com to download your free personal assessment. And if you like the show, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on iTunes and help spread the word. Welcome to the Impact Legacy and Meaning podcast. I am joined today by Ryan Narris. He is a Wake Forest University double graduate with a degree in psychology and statistics and an MBA. He started with nothing, with no money, no network, no experience. You flash forward four years and he is part of a 10 mobile home park transaction totaling $20 million in acquisitions, spanning roughly 1,245 pads. He's the host of MHP IRL, which stands for Mobile Home Parks in Real Life, where he helps hungry wannabe real estate entrepreneurs gain the tools they need to start their journey. Ryan, thank you for being on the podcast today. I am honored to be here, and I'm pumped. I think we're an awesome fit for each other, and we're going to have a great conversation. All right. Well, Ryan, I I really appreciate it. I I gave a little bit of a bio there to start us off, but if you don't mind, tell our listeners a little bit about your story, kind of where you came from, your career journey, uh, your family, and where you are now. Sure.
1: So, Look, I'm 32 years old as of this recording in 2019, and I was fed the same thing everyone my age was fed and younger and a little bit older, too, is go to college, you know, work hard in high school, go to college, get a good job, you work hard at that job, and you can retire on the beach. And it's like, no, any of that is really that true, (laughs) at least not anymore.
0: Yeah, there's a lot more good than that.
1: You know, I think I was, I read somewhere, I think the census, uh, the United States census has this information, but the, the tipping point between when more than half the adults in the United States of America actually had their high school degree was something like 1946. So it's relatively new that not only do most people have their high school degree, but also go to college. So you, you're seeing the devaluation of the college degree. So, in other words, you, you're we're functioning off of information that's just ancient. And the, the problem is – and not only that, since the Great Recession, you've seen wages be stagnant. So, in other words, what when I graduated undergrad in 2009, which in part was a terrible time to graduate, but also there's just an influx of meaningless BS jobs. And you go to school and you rack up all this debt and then you go to a job that is totally meaningless – and you, you, ha- it, you almost have to justify the reason why you're there. And that just perpetuates these just lies that and delusions that you tell yourself and makes it, re- it makes a sunk cost that much more poignant, that much more difficult to walk away from the barrier to exit is just skyrocket. So in other words, I, I, first and foremost, I graduated in 09, took a job that was not what I thought it was. Ended up having to sell cars because there was the job market was atrocious, but I basically made the best of it and flash, you know, four years into it, won a bunch of awards. Ended up writing a book about how to buy a car, which was really cool. Made a little bit of money doing that, which was kind of cool too. But my big thing through that process was I, you know, one day I sprained my ankle playing basketball, and I was at home icing my ankle, and I realized in that moment. Like money's not coming in right now. I'm in a commission only salesperson. The, yeah. I I literally ha- went to the store and bought crutches and went and sold cars that day. And just hobbled along because and, and it was a fun story to tell and whatever, whatever. But I, I think in that moment, what I realized is uh, this is not sustainable. I can do this in my twenties. But imagine something similar happens in my 60s or in even 50s or, or even at any point in time in, in my life. I needed passive income. And not only that, I also sat down with the general manager who is a, a stud. Great dude. Awesome. Talented guy. But he looked me point blank in the face and without directly saying this was like, I don't see my kids. You know, I make 200000 $300,000 a year. Uh, you know, you, you, this could be you one day, you could work really hard for 20 years and then not see your kids. And I, I think those two realizations while I was at the car dealership really taught me, I don't really want to go up and staying put is not an option. And I got to tell you, that is one of the most depressing feelings I, I, ever is feeling stuck especially if you have a lot of student loan debt and especially if you feel like you're underemployed, which a lot of my generation is. So I just, man, I, I, do, I don't play the victim. I, I don't, I hate the victim mentality that that, that floods our species because it's everywhere. It's not just the United States. And so I just, I started picking up books and reading books and, and focusing on me and, and I asked some really tough questions. I think the toughest question I asked is, When I'm on my deathbed thinking back to these moments in my life, what am I going to think about? And I have to tell you, money and how much money I'm making is actually really low on the list, shockingly low on the list. And time with my family was way at the top. So just to condense what I, I did from there is I went, okay, forget everything else. I need to focus on me. I need to learn. I need to network. I need to understand who I am and where I'm meant to be in this world. And then at some point, I got to make a big sacrifice and take a huge leap of faith and make a big bet on myself. Because when I'm 80, looking back, even if I fail, I look back and be like, man, I was proud that I, I did something stupid. You know, it was, it was courageous. I was chasing after a, a goal of, of not making millions, although if I make millions, great. I, I was chasing after being able to be there for my family when they need me most. And so that's who I am. That's where I came from. I do mobile home parks. As Sean mentioned, I uh, have purchased now 10 mobile home parks. I've been a part of 10 transactions, roughly 1,200 pads. I work for myself and I escaped corporate America. And I'm I'm not selling anything, I'm not raising any money. I am literally making myself public, giving people tools so you can also escape that depressed feeling. And just before you start asking your questions, I, I have to say this one of the happiest that what I've realized uh, and uh, besides being a part of my family is, is charity work makes me extremely happy. And if I can help people escape corporate America to also realize that charity work is, is something that makes them really happy. I can in effect make the world a better place by inspiring others to follow a a journey similar to mine.
0: Yeah. And I think that you, uh, you really, Well, you told a story there that I think will resonate with a lot of people, especially the part about being stuck, because there are a lot of people who feel stuck and a lot of people who get stuck. I do feel like I need to defend just a little bit of having a job because every job obviously isn't the worst thing in the world. There's a lot of good jobs out there. I'm a part of corporate America, too, in that you know I run a a fairly large uh, farm equipment dealership but uh, I don't feel like, you know, if our people feel like they're stuck, then I want them to get out. And if, but I think the majority of them don't feel like they're stuck. So not every job is like that, but there's a lot of them that are. And whenever you get in that position where you feel like you're stuck, you feel like there's no way out. uh, You feel like, like you said, that you've got so much sunk cost into it that it's going to cost you too much to try and go and do something else. You know, that's a horrible place to be. And so if you can help people to get out of that situation and into a situation where they're happier, where they're more financially secure. I think that's wonderful.
1: Well, thanks, and you're right. I have to say I know plenty of people who are always meant to work for someone else. You really have to have a certain personality type to want to start your own company and to deal with, the. as I mentioned earlier, as a commission-only salesperson. I don't, A lot of times when I was starting out, I had no idea how I was getting paid. So uh, it, that is not something a lot of people have the risk. So I, I, I just, I like taking risks. That's just how I, I'm wired. There are a lot of wonderful jobs out there. Owning your own business isn't the only way to, to success, but staying in a job that you're miserable because you need the paycheck is not the answer either. So I, I totally agree with you. If you can find what you're meant to be when you grow up, there's absolutely no shame in working for someone else.
0: Yeah. And the other thing that I really admire about your story is you got your priorities straight. You decided these are what my priorities are going to be. My priority is going to be family time. My priority is going to be some freedom and those kind of things. And you prioritize that and you didn't just say that you actually went out and took action and you made that happen in your life. And I think that's really admirable as well, because too often we give a lot of lip service to priorities. Right. There's a lot of people who do feel stuck, or who are in that position, like your sales manager was, where he doesn't ever see his family, or or there's, or maybe you don't ever get to do other things that you want to do, and you say, well, this thing's a really a priority in my life, but but I don't get time to do it. Well, you know, our time tells us exactly where our real priorities are. If you're spending all of your time at work, that's what your biggest priority is, regardless of whether you say it's family or not, because your actions are what demonstrate your real priorities, and so. I really applaud you for uh, for taking action on your priorities, deciding to make family a priority. You know, obviously, that's something that uh, is going to mean a lot more two or three generations from now than what uh, than what just you know, staying in that job would have meant to you.
1: Well, I thank you for the kind words. It was years. It was years of asking one important question, which is who am I? And I can't begin to describe to you how many times I thought I knew who I was, and I didn't. And looking back on myself, I'm like, oh, wow, I really thought I really had no idea who I was. I really thought I did. And so I'll push on your listeners to really ask some really tough questions of yourself. Because the hype stories that you tell yourself are really persuasive. The delusions you create, the delusions you create that you're happy with your current situation, are really hard. Is a sunk cost that we we're mentioning earlier are really really difficult to convince yourself of the truth. And you you have to ask some really tough questions. You have to let your ego take a complete beating. But it you know it took a lot of years to really truly know myself and. I like to say this because it's true. I really still don't know myself. There's really still a lot I have to learn about myself. So I, I think one of the most important things that I've been able to achieve um, in my my time, it's it's besides the money and the success and the family and, and, and a whole sort of other cool things I've done. Understanding who I am and what I want to be when I grow up took a l- decades and a lot of really tough questions. And it has rewarded me over and over again, because you're building on a foundation of fact. And sometimes it's really hard to knock a whole entire house down. But when you go into the basement and you see a cracked foundation, you can't continue to be delusional. Eventually that will crumble and you will be miserable. You have to be able to knock the house down and and build up from a strong strong and true self-esteem.
0: Yeah, I've talked to lots of people who are nearing retirement or are retired, and will tell you they still haven't decided what they want to be when they grow up. You know, and so that tells you that they just never found that mission. They never found that uh, that thing that they wanted to go out and and be, I guess, make with their whole life about. And they still felt like whatever they were doing for you know forty some odd years wasn't what they really meant to do. It wasn't what they were really passionate about. And that's kind of a sad thing whenever you see that. Um, Now, whenever you made the jump to try and become financially free, you decided on mobile home parks. That is not what most people think of when they think of, this is how I'm going to achieve financial freedom. How did you get into mobile home parks? So
1: the truth was, this was about a seven-year process. So it took me three years to find mobile home parks. I looked at over a hundred businesses. I read over a hundred books. I talked to probably thousands of people in retrospect and I asked myself really tough questions over over the years and I started quasi started three businesses before I actually I found mobile home parks and throughout that process it's just in iteration it's it's really similar to dating in the regard that there's a lot of really there's a lot of really sexy hype stories out there for businesses and the truth is you you really have to find someone who's a great fit for you. So like for me and my wife, I, we've gone through some really tough times, but if you were to ask her right now, she would say the same thing I am about to say right now, which is that we love each other more now than we did when we got married on our wedding day. And hopefully we'll continue in that trajectory of, of growing a family together and loving each other more with time. And, and, and the one thing I credit to this is we disagree extremely well. I can be like honest to the point where she is like, I really am disappointed that you said, you said that, but I'm glad you did. So I can be extremely honest with her and she can be extremely honest with me, even when she knows, or I know that she's going to strongly disagree with what I'm about to say. And again, it all comes back to the same thing, building on a foundation of truth and not delusions or hype stories. So for me, when mobile home parks hit me, it hit me right in the face and I remember the first time I drove through a, a mobile home park, my skin crawled. I was like, I do not feel safe at all. How am I going to buy these things? <laughs> and the the thing about it was, is it matched my charitable goals perfectly. It matched my business skills perfectly. And it matched the what do I want to do when I grow up perfectly. So it did not take long after finding it before I went, oh my gosh, this is it. And it was the same, and I, my wife hates when I say this, but it wasn't very long after I met her where I went, she's the one. So it's it's a very similar process. But again, it all came because I knew who I was, and it took years and years and years to to be able to,
0: to solve that. So what was the – whenever you decided to go into mobile home parks, what was the biggest challenge that you faced? Oh, I had no money.
1: I had big no money – I had no money. I had so effectively what, I, all I, what I'm doing in mobile home parks is I'm doing a leveraged buyout of a company, right? So in other words, I'm getting a, a loan, sixty-five to seventy-five percent loan to value, coming up with twenty-five to thirty-five percent equity in a multi-million-dollar business. That's essentially what I'm, I'm doing. I'm buying cash flow. The thing is, you can see it, and you can touch it, and you can and you can consume it, right? So it's not an idea. It's not a tech company. It's a it's a physical. Business. And the problem is, you need money to do that. And I had no money. And then to go and convince an investor to write a check for that 25 to 35% equity, you need to convince them you know what they're doing. You're doing. I had no experience. I couldn't do that. (laughs) And then, worse, I had no network. I had no one to call on. So, you know, call it whatever you want arrogance or naivete or, or whatever. I, I just I found a way to keep going every single day until I met the right people until I d- found a way to monetize not having any money, which turned out to be literally going and moving to a property and sleeping in a mobile home and sleeping on a blow up mattress with two lawn chairs for furniture and a TV that was leaning against the side of the wall without even a stand. So nothing to do for 14 months every other week. In Atlanta when my wife and all my friends were in Charlotte. So making a huge sacrifice. But essentially what it came down to for me was if I don't have these things, I need to find a way if I really want it. Right. So again, it comes out of this victim mentality thing. Am I going to sit back and make excuses or am I going to find a way if you if it really means something to you, you'll find a way. If not, you'll just make an excuse.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I'm glad you touched on that victim mentality thing. That's something I've thought about a lot about lately. You know, you see it a lot in the younger generation right now where everything is somebody else's fault, right? Or if, uh, if I'm going to get out of this, then somebody else, somebody's going to have to do it for me. And that just doesn't work. That's not how the real world is. You know, you have to go out and make things happen for yourself. If you're not willing to do that, you're not going to go anywhere. And so, yeah, I love th- that you're talking about that. Um, you know, you so you found an investor you you found somebody who was willing to invest in this and get you into mobile home parks you know i guess the question that i have to ask is there's a lot of you know negative connotations about mobile home parks and you get negative press on mobile home parks and things people think a lot of bad things what have they got right about those stories what have they got wrong about those stories what do we need to know about mobile home parks
1: yeah, there was a statistic that came out, I don't know, five years ago, give or take, that mobile home parks actually are just as safe as a standard middle, middle class community. It's not, it's really not that dangerous. The problem is a mobile home is if if a hurricane is going to hit or a tornado is going to hit, those things are going to fall right over. It's They're much more flimsy than... Then stick built homes. So in other words, you're on the news anytime a a calamity happens, and and also when you're dealing with affordable housing in general, a normal middle middle class person isn't going to move there because they're not going to need affordable housing. So you're going to get people who really truly need it. Now that there can there are tons of quote unquote normal people in mobile home parks. Teachers, for example, there they flood mobile home parks because they make say thirty thousand dollars a year. And how how do you have a family on that? right? So teachers are, flood them. CNAs and hospitals make 20, 20, 20, 20 25, $30,000 a year. And single mothers the people who just got divorced, you know, and then you, you have your, your standard people who are not very good with money and, and stuff like that. But th- the problem is, throughout the years, that part gets ignored. And what you, you get zoomed in on are these knuckleheads who, who live everywhere. Right. And when you, you can make things black and white in psychology, it's called the fundamental attribution error, which essentially in so many words means it's easier for your brain to just make something black or white. All people from X are jerks. All people from Y are great, right? It's easier. It's, 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 stores less memory in your brain to just have it be that way. So Hollywood and and the news have, have perpetuated something that's just, just statistically not true. And, and I'll, I'll one up that by saying when I grew up, so I'm a millennial and, and one of the big things that I agree with you, one of the big issues that my, generation faces is it's easy to it's easier now than ever to fall into the victim mentality, especially when you've been told all your life to to go rack up student loan debt and go to college and then a job's gonna be waiting for you, right? So it, it it's it's a it's partially our fault, it's partially not our fault, but you don't have to continue to be a victim. Yeah, you you could be totally right about the reasons why you're a victim, but you're still choosing to be a victim. And if I can help inspire people to, to smash that, especially kids my age, then I'm in. But one big thing that when when I was growing up in the 90s is when someone would knock on the door or someone would ring the doorbell. We would get up and run to the door. We were so excited to see who was there or when the phone rang We'd, we'd run to the phone to pick it up. And nowadays, if someone knocks on the door, I hide. I'm like, oh no, who's that? It's got to be someone trying to sell me something. Yeah. like Unless it's the Amazon guy, I'm not excited, right? Yeah. Or if my phone rings, I'm like, whatever, dude, just text me. So it's
0: yeah.
1: it's a different time. Mobile home parks are one of the few places that I've seen that are just like it was in the 90s, where folks are, are would would love to answer the door and talk to you. If there's an issue, they self police it. It's, it's, it, you know, they'll, they'll sit outside and they're, t- they'll talk and they'll have barbecues and, and it's they band together and there's a, a popular t-shirt that, that is, is funny, but for reason, if, for reasons that people don't really understand if they're not in the industry, the t-shirt says, you mess with me, you mess with the whole trailer park. And the reason, and so it's, it's it's funny cuz you're like oh rednecks or whatever. But the truth is if you if you're like me and I'm not in the real estate business, I'm in the community building business. Right. And that is absolutely true. It will bring tears to your eyes some of the stories we could talk about about what these people will do for each other. It's amazing. And so that is very true. Of good communities that aren't run by slumlords. What my industry is is plagued with is slumlordism because they think it's a coupon clipper. And if they own their own home, they don't have to fix the the community owner can just collect checks and it's not they don't have to fix anything because they don't own the 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 mobile home. So we've been plagued, unfortunately, over the years with slumlords, basically, who don't want to reinvest in their properties. And that's, you know, that's really brought a negative light to an otherwise absolutely wonderful asset class that serves a a need and has some amazing people in them
0: yeah that's that's great that's you know the whole time you were talking I, i just kept thinking community 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 because we don't have very much community anymore in our lives so many of us you know we stay secluded we go we drive straight to work and straight home and you know then we we're watching tv or we're on social media or whatever it is that you're into And you're not getting out and talking to your neighbors. And I'm as as guilty of this as anybody. I know some of my neighbors. I don't know all of my neighbors. Of course, I live in a neighborhood that's got like 150 houses in it. But but still, I don't know nearly enough of my neighbors because I haven't taken the time to go around and really try to meet them. And they would probably think I was crazy if I did try to meet them. But we all need community. Right, I mean, luckily, I've got a church community that I, I'm a part of that that really helps with that, and I'm a part of you know so the school community and some other communities around. But we all need that community, and most of us aren't getting it, and we're certainly not getting it where we live. And so, I think that's great that that uh, that you're viewing yourself as a community builder and going out and trying to make these communities and make them better. I think that's wonderful. Um, well, thank you. you know, but, um, one of the questions that I've got, you know, you realigned your priorities and then rearranged your life around those priorities and, and your biggest priority is your family. What's one of the biggest challenges that you face in making the impact that you want on your family?
1: Well, first and foremost, my son's three months old, so he, he doesn't quite speak English yet, but, uh, right. other than that, it's, so my wife came onto my podcast and she had a wonderful interview. I basically gave her the mic and said, you can say whatever you want, two rules, no bad words, and don't give away any of my secrets. And she is a a risk averse person, whereas I'm a risk seeking person. So she just trashed me for like 10 minutes. And I'm sure she loved that. (laughs) just being able to say whatever she wanted. And the reason why I bring the the podcast up is because we ended up having it was only like a 15 minute episode, and we ended up having an absolutely wonderful conversation about marriage told through the lens of entrepreneurship. And the reason why I bring that up for this question is because the biggest challenge that I had was we I, I found mobile home parks right before I got married. And I was at my MBA internship in Miami, Florida. My wife was in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So I was down in Miami having all the fun. And she was up in Winston by herself. No friends, no family, nothing, because we're from Charlotte. So I was back at Wake Forest. And so she had – she felt lonely. And I get home, and I'm like, Jen, I've got some great news. We're going to buy a mobile home park. <laughs> and so she broke one of those two rules I just said as soon as I announced that. <laughs> And the, the thing of it was, is she and I, we had to find a way for me to be able to chase my dream and for her to be able to be comfortable with me literally signing recourse debt to buy these. In other words, if I, if this fails, I lose everything. And right. since we're married, you're coming with me. And so that was a really tough thing to do. So I, I would say the biggest challenge I had was getting the buy-in for my wife and if y'all are thinking about starting your own company and you're getting any kickback from your significant other i highly recommend spending 15 minutes listening to what my wife and i had to say because what we ultimately end up saying there is again if, if you want something you'll find a way and if you truly love each other you will find a way through some of your darkest hours and your toughest moments because you're committed you're you're you really what you, you're going to put the work in to make that happen so i will say by far and away, the the toughest challenge I've had from a family standpoint is getting my wife's buy in. But not only that, also delivering. Right, I can't just get her buy in and then and then fail. Right, so it's it's an added layer of of fire under my butt to make it happen.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, you know that's a good point. You've got to be on the same page, and uh, you know that's one of the things that uh, I've talked about with my wife several times, and we still talk about it regularly because sometimes I wonder wait a minute, are we still on the same page? Because I think you've got to have a shared vision, right? You've got to ha- share that vision for this is what our life is going to be like, not only now, but in the future. And so we're both going to be working towards that goal. Um, and sometimes, you know, she'll say things or we'll do things and it, it just something triggers me in my mind. And I think, mm, let's. I better check in on this and make sure we've still got a shared vision here because we may not be on the same page, or we may not be working towards the same goals. And so we have to communicate to try and bring that shared vision back together so that we're, we're both working basically in the same direction because, uh, two people who are not going in the same direction in a marriage doesn't work period. And if it's in a marriage where you're trying to uh, pursue entrepreneurial things, then it really doesn't work because it just amplifies all those problems and, and all that lack of communication.
1: I couldn't agree more. And my wife just had a birthday on Sunday and for her birthday dinner, I took her out and she started getting a little teary eyed when she was basically like, my dream was to be able to be at home when our kids are really little, like two and under. And because of this business that I've created and because of the hard work and the sacrifice, she is able to do that. And she would not have been able to do that if we were in corporate America. But she could have it have been yeah. it have been really tight, and and we would not. I I, I work from home. I, I go to my properties almost every day, but I I can work from home whenever I want. And so, for her to be able to be at home, and for me to basically be at home, it's just I, I'm there for just moments that I could never get back in my son's life. And 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 hopefully we can we can build a family together. But that being able to know crystal clear what she wanted. Cause we had a lot of heated conversations and what we got out of that was the same thing I mentioned earlier, knowing who you want to be when you grow up and the mm-hmm. same thing you just mentioned right there, having being on the exact same page and I knew exactly what she wanted and how long she wanted it, which is to be at home while our kids are two and under. And if I can deliver that to her, that's a life goal for her. And if I can do that through my business, then she's now helping out in my business, which is wonderful, right? To a smaller degree, but still the the point there is, if you got to think about it like this, I think Steve Jobs harped on this quite a bit. If someone's going to New York and the other person thinks that they're going to LA, a lot of problems are going to happen, right? And you're going to get into a lot of fights. And if you don't know that one person's going to New York and one person's going to LA and you both think you're going to the opposite ends of the country, you're, you're going to get into a lot of heated battles over, over something as quite as simple as you don't know where you're going. And, and to, to, to add a, a little bit more color to that, let's say you want to go specifically to Madison square garden in New York city. That's easy. Cause you can Google the address and then figure out, do I want to get on a plane? Do I want to get in a car? Do I want to get on a train? Right. But if you don't, if you're like, well, I heard New York is pretty cool. Right. But you don't have something yeah. like a really specific address. You don't know to get on a bicycle or if you can walk or if you should hitchhike. Right. So in other words, you, you can't even pick the medium with which you're going to use to get there. So you have to be really, really specific. And and it's not just in, in your business. It's also in your, in your marriage.
0: Yes. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent there. And I have been in some of those battles that you mentioned before where I wasn't communicating well. And, and, uh, And yeah, we end up uh, trying to head different directions, but in the same vehicle, and that doesn't work. Um, Another question that I I like to ask, and I I think, uh, because I think our listeners enjoy hearing this, was there somebody in your life that you really wanted to emulate in terms of the kind of impact that they made?
1: Oh, there's lots of people. So I, I used to challenge myself to read 50 books a year, and I've since stopped and I need to get back on it. but. I've encountered so many amazing people in my life, and and I've read about so many amazing people. And I think what I discovered at a really young age is that I was really blessed to have parents who cared. And I remember when I was 16 years old, I did volunteer work. I, I went to volunteer for these underprivileged kids. Remember, I sat down with this little girl and helped her with her pre-algebra homework. And it's not like at 16 years old, I was just this master educator. But she literally looked at me and she was like, you, you are making this so much easier than I thought pre-algebra was going to be. And I was like, I'm, I am feel like I'm just answering your questions. And she was like, she was like this is going to sound stupid, but... I'm not just writing, I'm not just writing stuff down on the page, right? Like there's in so many words, there's a logistical pattern to this. And I was like, yes, math is technically the science of patterns. So you are following a logistical pattern to solve for X. And she was like, she, this light bulb went off in her brain. She was like his English class like this too. And I, I literally, I was dumbfounded by this. I, Yes, every science is like this. Literally, academia is, it's all logic-based. And she was just, she was not stupid. What I realized in that moment is that this little girl just didn't have parents that cared. Either they didn't care or they weren't in her life or for whatever reason, she didn't have someone to sit down with her after school and answer really basic questions. And what I realized in that moment was that, it, no matter who I want to be or emulate, you know, Gandhi or even Bill Gates right now, trying to kill malaria, like no matter who you are, you have to find whatever charity work really resonates for you. And at a young age, I, I just stumbled into it, which is that I had parents who were, who sat there and answered those questions for me. So I had that light bulb moment and I had many, many more after that. Cause I was ADHD growing up. I had a, a, a Diagnosed and treated learning disability, and I was able to go to Wake Forest University, good school, not Ivy League, but good school. And it was because my parents loved me and cared and got me the treatment I needed. There's a lot of people out there that don't have that. So what I really want to do with my life, and there's a, there's a lot of people I could really point to 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 help in in the education realm. But really, what I want to do is create my own path. And I, I want to impact more than than just one little girl once it once a semester because so I partner with Heart Math Tutoring and basically I have two little girls uh, per year basically, and or or little boys are you know elementary school kids and it's like that that that's a great thing to do but that doesn't reach scale right so. The, the thing that I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this one day, but I know that some way, somehow I've got to find a way to, to do it in scale because I don't know if that's going to be creating new classes or after after school programs or what. But I've got to say there's there's definitely a lot of people I'd love to emulate and a lot of people I would look to. But instead of pointing out one awesome person, what, I, what I'd rather do for your audience is, is just encourage you to find what that is for you because I've got to tell you. The charity work that I do is so much more rewarding than any amount of money I've made or, or really any cool thing I've done within in business. And and it it's wh- whether you look up to someone like Bill Gates and go, wow, I, I want to cure malaria or or whomever, like you have to find what that is for you, because like Viktor Frankl said, your life, once you find your purpose in life, everything just makes sense. And it's, you don't have to think about working, you just do it. And it's, you hit a different level of happiness. And, and even if on bad days, it's so much easier to fight through those bad days when you have that meaning and purpose. So, so I will, I'll, I'll put that back on your audience and say, instead of picking one person out and one cool thing, someone, someone has done or continues to do, find that for you and find your, your moment, your light bulb moment. With someone else, and and I, I got to tell you, it is just it just is so impactful for for who I am and and where I want to go with my life. So I, I, I hopefully will inspire you to find that too.
0: Well, and I think that's great, Ryan. And I just want to add to that and say that you know finding that mission or that purpose in life, it's not going to come and hit you upside the head. Uh, in my experience, it's something that you have to decide and you have to take action on, and you have to decide this is going to be my mission. We all have opportunities around us. There are things that we're good at. There are things that, uh, you know, that we just have natural talents for. There are, are things that are just basically in the community that we're a part of that we can take part in in order to serve others. And, and you know, to find that mission, it's got to be about serving others. If it's about serving yourself, it's never going to be satisfying. It, you're never going to be fulfilled by that. Not in my opinion. Uh, I think you've got to find something where you're serving others And you got to just go out and adopt that mission. You know, people say, well, I just haven't found my purpose or, you know, I can't figure out what I'm supposed to do in life. And they sit and they wait and they think that somebody's just going to drop it on their head. But that is not how it works. You can't depend on somebody else to find your mission. You've got to go out and find it. In my opinion, you have to go out and adopt a mission that you want to be a part of and then make that your purpose in life. Absolutely spot on. Yeah. Uh, one other, th- one other question, I'm going to turn that around just a little bit differently. Is there anything that you want to make sure that you do differently than previous generations or anything specific that you want to make sure your kids do differently than you did?
1: Yeah, I really, I really hope that I really hope that I can leave this world a better place. And I really hope that through my work and charity work and business work, I can help inspire others to want to leave the world a better place too. And that's just, I I just don't feel like that's that's talked about enough and that's espoused enough, you know, as, especially I love this country, the United States of America, but one, one thing about us, about the American dream, it's, it's very, it's really very selfish. It's really very, I want uh, to pursuit of wealth and happiness It is really heavily centric on making money. And if I can leave anything behind it, it's not just for our country, because what I would push back on our country is that it's, it's not just it, the pursuit of happiness doesn't have to be money, right? We, we are, we live in a free country. It's the best country in the world to live in. Right. And it's because you have the freedom to go and make yourself happy and what I what I would like to kind of be known for is is a guy who helps inspires other to go and find their happiness by making the world a better place making it better than when what what it was when you showed up at so for my generation the Millennials and for this subsequent generation and, and really the, the generations to come I really hope that what my what I'm able to hope hopefully inspire is that, I help people realize it's not about making money. It's about helping others. That is where true happiness comes from.
0: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think I know where you're going with what you were saying, because our country has been built on rugged individualism, right? That's the concept is rugged individualism. It's all about being an individual. You know, the Republican Party is all about, you know, being independent and the Democratic Party seems to be all about uh, having all these liberties, but that's all you focused. It's all me focused. It's all uh, focused on the individual. But like you said, where that fulfillment really comes from is it comes from helping others. It comes from making the world a better place. Um, you know, if you listen to some of my podcasters somewhere, I've talked about the concept of shalom because that's a really big big deal for me. And shalom, uh, you know, a lot of people try and associate with that with one religion or another, but it's really talked about in almost all the religions, but Shalom is just the or the way I like to explain it is it's just the idea of everyone and everything working together for the good of everyone and everything. And, you know, that may never come to, to fruition worldwide. But even if it came to fruition just in you and your circle of influence, think about what a wonderful place that would be. Think about what kind of an impact you could have. And so that idea of Shalom, the idea of everyone and everything working together for the good of everyone and everything. I think that's what uh, I think that's what God's intended. I think that's what we're supposed to be doing here on this earth and just, you know, find where you can contribute to that and get in where you fit in.
1: Yeah. And and I don't want to be pessimistic towards, towards the earth as it is today. I would, I love this quote by comedian, John Stewart, where in so many words he was asked, are you terrified about the state of the world after nine 11? And his response was just absolutely brilliant. In so many words, it was, we had, A handful of guys fly a plane into a building for it to collapse, and we had scores of men running full sprint into those buildings to help others out. And I I really am optimistic about the human race. I think for the most part, we are a species that, that does wholeheartedly believe in helping others. But with this interconnectivity that we have today with Facebook and the internet and everything, the, the things that get the most attention are unfortunately the negative things. And I think that kind of gives us the impression that there are not enough people out there that are, are really helping. It's not giving it's, it's not skewing it properly. There's, there's not a lot of wicked out there. There's more good in my opinion out there than bad. And if I can help show people that by being good, you will be rewarded regardless of if you're religious or what religion you are or even if you're not religious if you are a good person, that is just such a better way to live period.
0: I could not agree more and I, I think you're exactly right. everything gets skewed to show the negative but for the most part the world's not really a negative place. Everything's not going to uh, to heck in a handbasket uh, you know it's a pretty nice world out there whenever you go and talk to people but that's part of the key to that is get out there and talk to people uh, to get out there and be a part of a community. And you'll find out that it's not like it is on the news. The news is, is uh, their goal is basically to sell advertising. And what they think sells advertising is to uh, to show all those negative things and the tragedies in the world. And there are tragedies, and, and maybe we can help with them, and maybe we can't. But, uh, but by and large, the world's a pretty pretty great place. Go out and experience it. Uh, that would be my advice anyway. What would, uh, you know, we, we're talking a little bit about a, a lot of really big concepts here. Um, what would you say is your number one goal for leaving a personal legacy?
1: Uh, really more of the same that I, I mentioned earlier. I Someone asked me on a podcast I was on recently, what do you want six generations from now to think of you? And to be honest, I don't even know the names of my great grandparents, which sounds awful, but that's what four, four generations back, three generations back. So, in other words, double that. <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, I don't I, look, n- not wealth. And that, that's got to be, again, lower on the list. I know that the, the, the answer I think that interviewer wanted me to say was, oh, I want to create generational wealth like the Vanderbilts. I don't think in six generations, if you were to talk to, so I actually know one of the Vanderbilts and I've spent a, a decent amount of time with him and he never brings up money. Never. Yeah, Even though I, if we all know he's got it right. And if you were to ask him, he probably doesn't say, Oh wow. Great grandfather, great, great grandfather. I'm so glad you left me all this money. You know, I, I, I think, in six generations, if my great, 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 great grandkids remember me, I want it to be because I made the world a better place for having been here. And I helped inspire others to find their happiness through helping others.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about that, because, you know, we've talked a little bit about the fact that you, you're you're trying to help others find that happiness um, and help helping others to find that financial freedom. Um, how, how do you go about doing that? It's really tough. So I've started a partial scholarship, which is great.
1: Because in other words, I can help people in my community send their kids to college. And I also offer to pay for all college applications. So in other words, you could be able to hit. So in other words, I can help send you to college. And I hope even just help you apply because you got to think about if someone's lot rent is about $300 and the cost of one college application now is what, 125 bucks? If they if they pick just three colleges, a, a reach school, a safety school, and and a and a reasonable school, like they taught me in high school, that's rent for an entire month right. from mom and dad. Regardless if you're getting financial aid or not, if you, even if you get a full ride on financial aid due to income, that is an entire month of income, and that that is a big ask for a lot of families that live paycheck to paycheck. So in other words, that's a big, important thing that, that I offer. I also partner with PayLease. So if folks opt in, they can pay their rent online and it builds their credit. So I will literally help you rebuild your credit as you pay your rent. Because normally when you think rent, you think money's getting fl- flown out the window. It's not like a mortgage. It's not building my credit. So that's a really big thing. We also do free food giveaways because what we found a lot of times is that folks will literally starve before they'll go homeless. And you'd never know it because the money's coming in. As a landlord, you're like, oh, the money co- is coming in. I guess everything's okay. We've done multiple free food giveaways. And it, it's just the most amazing thing when folks tell you, I, at the end of the month, I'm deciding between rent, medicine, and food. And if I can only have two, I'll starve. And it's just it, mind-boggling to I, – I mean, I've, I've had folks literally default on their car notes but not be late on their rent. And it's just, it's just, it's inc- and you you sit down with them, and you're like, what are you doing? And They're like, well, I made a mistake, I bought too much car, and I'm just gonna let them take it back. But I'm, I'll, you know, I'll be darned if they're gonna take my home from me. I'm like, for, as a as as a landlord, that's that's great to hear. But as a human being, it's awful to hear, right? So those are those are some big things I've done. I've also done Bible studies, I've done Zumba classes, I've done. I had this one lady on my website. If you go to my charity tab, I talked about heart math tutoring. If you go to my, the charity, I've done block parties and stuff too, and partnered with local churches for a bunch of stuff. And this one lady, she, uh, it was in one of our rental units. I had no idea about this, about this, this woman. She under the prior ownership got bed bugs. And if you know anything about bed bugs, they will ruin your furniture, even if you treat it. So the prior ownership treated it and thought that was that. And I guess this woman either didn't speak up, or I don't. I don't. I know the the folks personally. I don't think there are slumlords. I, th- I think they just didn't know. And this Miss Joyce, and it, you can watch the video on my website. I literally went to her home, and and she told me that she basically bought a blow up mattress and slept on the blow up mattress. And as an older elderly woman, that was just atrocious, right? That was not an option. She had to throw out all of her her furniture because or her, her bed because and all of the stuff in her bedroom because of these bed bugs, bought a blow up mattress, then went to a rent a center type place. And Oh my gosh, did they take her to the cleaners? Okay. And she was paying like $61 a month and had a minuscule balance. It was like 353 bucks or something tiny that there, that basically was all interest at that point. And so I went, and I surprised her. I got it all in film. Miss Joyce, I'm paying off this balance for you. And I did it with, with with Ian and my our personal funds. This was not a business expense. We did, we did this with our personal funds. And she, to this day, every time I see her, is just like I still can't believe you did that. And that is again way cooler and and just way more impactful for me. She wrote me a card, and I literally am looking at it. It's right there next to my desk that that card is more meaningful to me than any amount of money in my bank account. And so it, it's it's little things like that and it's bigger things like the, this college scholarship. But I think the, the truth is at the end of the day, the really difficult thing is I, I I don't have time to do a whole bunch of stuff. I have to cherry pick the best of the best that I – things that I can do that are most impactful uh, and, and also are scalable. And that's been the real challenge that I've had over the years is – I've been able to do a handful of really cool things and I want to do more, but to, to really hit scale, I have to pick one thing and one thing alone and really just go gung ho on it. And it's, it's really tough to find that one thing because it's heartbreaking. This one kid I offered, I remember I offered to pay is all, he wanted to apply to Georgia tech UGA and I think like Georgia state. And I remember being like, that was the first person I ever offered to pay their, their college scholarship or their college applications for. And I did it in front of his mom and I could tell by the look in his eyes, he was never going to do it. And so I was like, but this is only good for one week. So you've got, and I looked at mom and I was like, mom, you better make sure he's done by the end of this week. And he never came through with it. And, and I'm pretty sure he's still on that property. Cause I sold, I sold out of that property but that totally broke my heart. And, and the, the thing I realized in that moment and across a couple other, other moments is that just because you offer something, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the right thing for, for folks. And also it, they may not necessarily take you up on it. So for me, what, what I'm still striving to find is, is that one thing that is, is going to, cause I really want to help education. Like I said, I, I feel like that's my calling, but Outside of actually sitting down one-on-one with a, 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 a student, which is not scalable, I don't know how to. I don't know how to do it, and I, I don't know if it's throwing money at a, at a company like Heart Math Tutoring or starting my own, or or maybe working with politicians to get funding for something or in, in, in mass or, or what. But if you're listening to this and you have some ideas and you've liked what I've had to say, please reach out to me. I am actively looking uh, to, to partner with someone or, or to find some idea that, that we can do in scale.
0: Well, I, I think, uh, you know, I go back to what we were saying earlier, just kind of get in where you fit in, look at what's around you and what you can do, you know, in the, and with the people that are right there in front of you and go do that. And it looks like you're already doing that. But along that same lines, if there is somebody that has a great idea, what is the best place for people to contact you, Ryan? Because I want to put that out right now while people have it on their mind. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you to uh, to try and and help you with this mission? Absolutely.
1: So LinkedIn is by far and away the best place to find me. My name is Ryan Narus. It's R Y A N N A R U S. That's N like Nancy. If you Google me, I'm pretty sure LinkedIn is the first thing that shows up. You can also reach out to me directly on my website, which is ArchimedesGRP.com. But honestly. LinkedIn uh, or just my own website are, are by far and away the best places to, to find me. And, and I have to say this too, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're unemployed or the CEO of a major company. I would love to talk to you. I, I, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. One of the biggest things that I've realized in my life is it's all about who you know and you've heard that a million times what is that phrase it's not who you it's not what you know it's who you know and what i've found is some of the best lessons i've learned were from like janitors and i've sat down with some ceos let me tell you something about ceos of major companies because i've sat down with some they are politicians they are good at giving you a great sounding answer without actually saying anything so i will say that there are there are middle managers there are entry level employees or unemployed people who have Had amazing conversations with me and and I've learned a lot from me and I've learned a lot from them, even though they aren't interested in real estate or mobile home parks or anything I'm interested in. So I don't care who you are. If you've been inspired by my story or, or just want to reach out, please, I would love to talk to you.
0: Okay. Well, with that, let's jump into the speed round right quick, Ryan, because we're starting to run out of time here. And then I, I want to actually get done with that. Don't let me forget to let you give out your contact information again so that people will know how to get a hold of you. The first question here in the speed round is, what is the best business book that you've read lately?
1: Lately, the best business book I've read was Extreme Ownership. It was written by some former servicemen. And it is all in line with what I was saying earlier about being able to have a self-esteem that can just take a beating and you build from a foundation of truth, not delusion. Outstanding book, Extreme Ownership.
0: Yeah, I've had that uh, recommended to me actually several times in the last week or so. So uh, that's one of the, that I need to uh, to go ahead and, and purchase and read myself. I read somebody else's cliff notes on it. And I, I really like the cliff notes. I just haven't taken the time to, to read the book. So I've got to do that. Um what's the best book on life or mindset that you've read lately? Mark Manson's The Subtle
1: Art of Not Giving an F. It okay. it it combines Buddhism with Tim Ferriss's 4-Hour Workweek and does it all in an incredibly fun easy to read fashion. And it is just absolutely chock full of life lessons from a guy who literally lived in something like 50 countries with an online business. So in other words, he took the Tim Ferriss concept and then literally just went and kept moving to countries. So he had time freedom. He had the ability to travel and and basically, what he discovered—just not to give you an, a huge spoiler—but basically, what he discovered is that building something is much more fun than living life like a, ba- a vagabond. So, in- incredible book, absolute must read, and I think it's a best-selling uh, book as well. So, it's easy to find.
0: Oh yeah, it's it's out there, it's everywhere. Um, what is the best app or tool that you use in business? There's a lot. I
1: would have to say Duolingo. So Duolingo is a free app that will teach you any language. And if you're in the United States of America, you know that Hispanics are flooding this country and you can sit here all you want and say, well, they're coming to our country. They should learn our language. But let me tell you something. That does not get you paid. What will put money in your pocket which is ultimately more important than any political belief you have is if, if everyone else wants to go, well, you can learn how to talk to me. I'll go and learn how to talk to you because then you'll come do business with me. So Duolingo by far and away best, app, even though it's not technically a business app, if I had to pick a business app, I'd probably say rent manager or Asana for project management, but Duolingo 15 minutes a day, will go a long way in a really short period of time. I think I'm two and a half years into it right now, and I've not skipped a day. Y yo puedo hablar español es, no es perfecta, pero funciona. Es bastante. And what I just said is my Spanish, it's not perfect, but it works. It's enough. So definitely have to recommend Duolingo.
0: Well, I admire your consistency because, uh, I've had Duolingo on my phone for several years, but I think my longest streak is probably about two to two and a half weeks. And then I, I get distracted. I move on to something else and then I come back to it and do it for another two weeks. And that's not two weeks. I can tell you is, is not enough to learn very much Spanish. I can remember about five or six different words and that's about it. Um, what is the best time that you've spent with your family lately?
1: So this is a a wild story, but my son was a premature birth. He was born, like I said, three months ago. He was due August 31st. Today is October 22nd. He showed up on July 11th, so almost two full months early. Wow. And my wife was in the hospital almost an entire week before then. And if you've never had a child before, witnessing your child's birth is the most amazing thing. I've ever experienced and being able to hold my son, even though he was four pounds and it was a terrifying experience, but having my business be able to pay me when I'm not there, when I don't have to worry about paid time off or paternity leave or getting passed over for a promotion for having started my business and having it to a place where it does not need me to survive, survive. Now it needs me to grow, but it doesn't need me to survive. And I can step away for about an entire month. That was one of the most amazing moments of my life. Not only just because I got to be there when my family needed me the most, but because of all the sacrifice and hard work and risks that I've taken over the years, building a business that pays me when I'm not there, to be there when I get the phone call from my mother-in-law that starts off, hey, Ryan, please don't freak out when I tell you this. And you're like, Miss Cindy, do you want me to freak out? Because that's exactly how you start a phone call to get me to freak out. To to follow up with, Hey, Jennifer's in the hospital. Can you please like, you know, don't kill anyone on the way here, but can you get here ASAP? That's by far and away the most amazing moment I've ever spent with my family, probably even rivals getting married. But Yeah, I got to say that was pretty incredible for a lot of reasons.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that. uh, That sounds pretty incredible. Um, If you could leave our listeners with just one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: Get out there and meet people. Get out there and learn. Get out there and meet people. I, I like to say that I can distill my business, starting, being able to start my business to four things, which is learning, networking, self-assessing, and m- sacrificing. And we've touched on all of that today. But really, if you get out the, like, think about what is a book? A book is literally an expert, someone top in their field who spent decades learning something, who has condensed all of their most impactful wisdoms down into a very digestible means of absorbing that information. And it's what, 20 bucks on average to buy a book? Why wouldn't you read all the time? And I'm being a hypocrite right now because I I don't read nearly enough as I used to and as I should. But get out there and learn. Get out there and meet anyone. you If they're unemployed, all the way up to a CEO, go meet them. And always self-assess. Figure out who you are and who you're meant to be when you grow up. And don't be afraid to, to identify and label a sunk cost and, and 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 then when the time is right, make a major sacrifice because when you're 80 looking back on this moment, you're not going to go, oh boy, I'm glad I didn't take that risk. No, you're going to be like, man, I'm glad I lived a life of no regrets. And even though it didn't work out, like at least I tried. And, and then what's the opposite of that? You you'd made a bet on yourself and it worked.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. It's not nearly as bad as living a life full of regret. That's for sure. Well, Ryan, I have really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, your enthusiasm is infectious, and I hope that you stay enthusiastic for uh, for going out and making a difference in the world the way that you are right now. Uh, once again, to find Ryan, you can go to LinkedIn and look him up, Ryan Naris, or you can go to his website, Archimedes Group, and I spell that for me again, Ryan. I don't want to get it wrong.
1: A r c h i m e d e s again a thousand times easier just to Google me Ryan Neres, Narus N a r u s I picked a I picked a bad company name it was cool in concept but it should have been something a lot
0: simpler <laughs> okay well uh yeah reach out and and get in touch with Ryan and uh, and help him on his mission or uh, have him help you on your mission but uh, but get in touch with him and uh, I'm sure he'd love to help. Ryan, thanks again. Thanks for being on the podcast and uh, hope we talk again really soon. Sean, I really enjoyed it, man. Thanks for listening to Impact Legacy and Meaning. If you found what you heard today helpful, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. That would really help me out. Also, don't forget to download your own personal assessment from impactlegacyandmeaning.com, where you can also check the show notes for any links or references from today's podcast. And remember, the only thing holding you back is you. This podcast is brought to you by Impact, Legacy, and Meaning Groups. If you want to increase your impact on your business, family, and community while building a personal and financial legacy that will last for generations, if you want support and accountability while getting there, if you want to 10x your creativity and intelligence, for bridging the gap between where you are now and where you want to be, then apply to join a peer group at impactlegacyandmeaning.com.